Get your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to continue a series that I started a few weeks ago um, called New Norm, New Norm. And, and what I basically have said is as a church, I just think God wants us to go to a, a new normal, to a new level in him, to a new depth that God really spoke to me that he wants to deepen us and deepen our walk with him and, and deepen our faith. How many are okay with going deeper in God? How many know that there's always a place you can go deeper? In fact, you know, the word of God, Julie and I've had these conversations a lot of times that the word of God's kind of like an ocean. And, and the reason you read it and you reread it and you reread it and you reread it is because I've been reading the Bible since I could read, like because I was raised in church. And even still, I'll read something and think, whoa, I've like never seen that before. And, and you just find that the Bible interprets the Bible and it's all connected to each other and it's all this revelation of the kingdom of God. And it's just, it's incredible but it's, it's kind of like an ocean in that you can like skim across the top. And that's sometimes good. Like, like I, you know, Julie and I went on a vacation one time and I've never been a sailor, but I love water. And when it comes to sailing, you know, it's kind of like Bob Wiley from what about Bob say I'm sailing, you know, it's a, I mean, she didn't have to tie me to the mast, but anyways, you understand I'm not really a sailor, uh, but I love being out on the water and we were staying in this resort where you could, you could go and get these little bitty catamaran sailboats, like just big enough for three or four people. And they let you check them out because in Mexico, no one cares if you die or not, right? So anyways, it's not like the United States where everybody's worried about getting sued. They don't care. Like, hey, shark eats you. We don't care. Anyway, so you could just, like, you didn't even have to know how to sail. Just like, this guy's like, you ever sail before? I'm like, well, I've been on a sailboat when someone else was sailing it. Oh, you'll be great. And so anyways, so we get out there, man. I just, man, we're just skimming across the water. Like I figured it out and, and I, I just love, it was the coolest thing ever, right? It's the coolest thing ever. But you know, it was great is while you're sailing, you can also look down and you can see fish and you can see dolphins and you see stuff. And that's kind of how God's word is. Like you can skim across the top of it or you can go as deep as you want, right? And so that's why we study and study. And that's why God takes us deeper and deeper in him because there are always parts of him we haven't seen, we haven't understood. There are parts of him we haven't experienced. And so we're talking about a new norm because I just think as a church, I want us to go to a new place in God, a new place in our faith, um, kind of establish a new normal, if you will. You know, it's, we live in a day, and we've kind of talked about this, where Americanized Christianity, I'm not sure, is getting us where we, we want to go. In fact, sometimes it's kind of a feel-good gospel. Like, you know, Jesus loves you, and everything's going to be okay. Can I just tell you, I've been serving God for a long time. Everything's not always okay, just because you love Jesus. I wish it was, man. I'd smoke that crack if they'd sell it. You understand what I'm saying? But... <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But anyways, <laughs> but it just doesn't exist. You know, it's just, that's just not, not how it works. And, and so for me, you know, I just look at where our hearts are and our commitment. And, and I hear people and they're like, well, you know, I could go to church or I could, you know, and I'm like, man, is there really any competition for, for going to church and serving God? If you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, there's tons of competition. Yeah, I totally get that. But I'm just saying, man, this is, you know, when people say, well, you know, I was going to come to church, but I decided just to sleep in. I'm thinking, maybe it's just the way I was raised, but I don't think that's a wise decision. And I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm just talking about for me, Jesus can do something for me. Serta can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Like, I'm all about some sleep. I like sleep. You know, don't get me wrong. I sleep well. I sleep hard like a rock, man. I sleep. But I'm just saying, I grew up in ways like, man, I serve Jesus. I need Jesus. I got to be in his presence. I got to be in his house like this. I'm a believer. This is what believers do. They, they come and they be with God and they're changed into his image. And like this, Jesus is not some little additive to my life to make me feel better. Jesus is the only reason that I live at all. In him, I live and move and have my being. Like, is there really any competition when it comes to serving Jesus? Is there really any competition to church on a weekend? I I can't even understand that because nothing else can do for me what Jesus has done. Nobody else is willing to do what Jesus has done for me. And the fact that I'd sit back and be like, well, I don't know if I can go to church. Everything's just not okay. Or I don't know if they're going to sing a song I like. Maybe we're not singing for you. Maybe we're not worshiping you at all. Maybe we're singing what moves God. Maybe we're worshiping him. Why don't get get off your throne and kneel before his? (laughs) I think you had to have thick skin if you come to our church. I do. I think because sometimes I never know what I'm going to say, but that was great preaching, by the way. My grandfather would be high-fiving St. Peter right now if I could see him. He's like, that boy can preach right there. I taught him that. <laughs> Anyways, um, so we're just talking about having a new normal. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter is writing. I want to jump into the text. It says, in this you greatly rejoice. Now, Peter is writing to a group of believers. Now, listen to this. A group of believers who are under fire because of their faith. So this is, he's writing mostly to Gentiles in Asia Minor, but he's writing to encourage them because they are, they're, they're being blitzed because of their faith, because of their obedience to Jesus. They are being criticized. They're being persecuted. And so he is writing to them, right? I just want you to understand that in America, we, we so far, we really don't pay a high price for our faith, Right? I understand that it feels like as a believer and a follower of Jesus, we have less rights than every other group. I I know sometimes it feels that way because Satan is very real and and the warfare is real, but we're not going to be arrested for being here this morning. You understand what I'm saying? And so I I know sometimes, you know, believers in, in America, we feel like, oh my God, I'm being persecuted because someone wrote a negative comment about a scripture that I posted. Well, it's not really the same, but it is persecution, I guess. We'll pray for you. But anyways, but these people are under fire because of their faith, because of their faith. And, and, and Peter says, says in this, you greatly rejoice. Here's a new normal rejoice when it doesn't go well. Like here is a new Testament principle. Peter said, rejoice to these people. And these believers like, Hey, you're under fire. Rejoice. James said it this way. Count it all joy when you fall into temptations and trials, right? Paul said it this way. From prison, Paul writes, rejoice in the, in the Lord always. And again, I say, maybe your, maybe your outlook has more to do with your mindset than your circumstance, So he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, everybody say a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Watch this, that the genuineness of your faith, that's the proving of your faith, the testing of your faith, 
which is more precious than gold that perishes, though gold is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I call this message trial-tested faith. Trial-tested faith. Because, see, Peter is writing, he is writing to a group of believers, as we said, who were under fire because of their faith. And, and here's what Peter says. Hey, you should rejoice in that. You, you should be excited because the trial that you're in is revealing the faith that you have. The trial that you're in. And so he's saying, hey, rejoice. And here's why. Because here's what he's saying. It's showing the proving, the testing, the genuineness of your faith. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you guys ought to rejoice because faith that is tested is faith that can be trusted. Faith that is tested is faith that can be trusted. Like if you're about to go to sleep and check out, you should write that down before you go into a coma. So when you wake up, you'll know what the sermon was about because that's kind of the sermon in a sentence is faith that can be tested is faith that can be trusted. And so I, I want to write, I, I want you to write some things down. We're going to walk through kind of this text together and, and I want to bring you kind of a normal mindset and I'll go ahead and tell you what it is and we'll come back to it in just a moment. But, but I think that sometimes with believers in, in, in the Americanized gospel, it's kind of like we kind of have this, this indication or implication or understanding that if I'm following Jesus, then, then I'm never, I never go through trials. I never go through hard stuff. It just somehow all works out. And like I said, that's not really the way that it goes. In fact, if you follow Jesus, you will endure a trial. And I'm going to talk about why. How about that? And so you might want to write these down. And the first one that Peter talks about is the fact that your faith is valuable. Your faith is valuable. In fact, I would say it this way. Your faith is the most valuable possession that you have. It's the most valuable possession that you have. That's, that's why, honestly, you should guard your faith. And, and we don't talk about this a lot, but, you know, I, I have, um, I, in my house, I have a safe and I put valuable things in there. Why? Because I want to guard what's, isn't this what you do? Like when you left this, this morning, you probably set the alarm and locked your doors, right? Because you have valuables in your house and you, you want to guard what's valuable, right? Does that make sense? And isn't it interesting that like in my house, I have this safe and no, there's no money in there because money's really not that valuable, <laughs> right? In fact, in my safe, you're not going to find jewelry. You're not going to find money, right? In my safe, you know what you're going to find? Guns, because that's what's valuable, right? <laughs> that's the only thing that makes sense to keep in there for me. Because I'm trying to guard what's... In fact, I have a safety deposit box. You know what? I put stuff in there that I want to keep safe, right? Um, isn't it interesting that we as believers go through all of these different things to guard things that really are perishable things? And we guard our gold, if you will. But what are you doing to guard your faith? Because Peter says your, your faith 
is more valuable than gold. Right? Now when we talk about our time with God, our time in our life group, our time at the church, now all of a sudden we're talking about guarding the most important asset that we have. And so you need to understand that your faith is valuable. Here's why your faith is valuable. It is because if you think about it, and, and kind of going back to a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the kingdom of God, we understand Jesus is a savior, but Jesus is a king. And Jesus came back to establish his kingdom on the earth. And so now he has tasked us, his followers, with this idea of colonizing earth with heaven. That's why the first thing that Jesus told his followers to pray was your kingdom come, your will be done on. It was the same thing he asked Adam to do, take dominion over the earth, make it look like heaven. Jesus came back and he said, I'm going to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't preach the good news of salvation, even though, yes, that is a part of the kingdom. And that's the way into the kingdom is what we call the atonement that Jesus paid for our sin and forgave us. But Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. What he was saying is the kingdom of God is on the earth again. Why do we want that? Because God's kingdom and rule and reign is good, right? And his rule and kingdom and reign has an answer for all the deficiencies of the kingdom of darkness. And the Bible says in coming to Jesus, I've moved from one kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. And that's why Paul calls us citizens of heaven who are colonizing the earth. And so when it comes to faith, we have to understand faith is the only way into the kingdom. Faith is the only way to live in the kingdom, to exist in the kingdom. And faith is the only way to expand the kingdom. So without faith, we are not kingdom people. We cannot enter the kingdom. We cannot benefit from the kingdom. And we cannot expand the kingdom. All of that is through faith, through faith in our king. In fact, Jesus comes to Nicodemus, or Nicodemus and Jesus have this meeting in John chapter 3. And Jesus tells him, he's like, hey, hey, unless you're born of spirit and water, you can't even see the kingdom. Right? That's why you're trying to talk about the kingdom of God to people who aren't believers. They're like, I don't get it. I don't get why you're in a life group. I don't get why you go to worship on, on the weekends. I don't get why you serve on a dream team. I don't get why you give your money. It's like, because you can't see it, bro. Yeah, and been born, you got to be born into the kingdom. Right? And that's what Jesus tells Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus is all asking these questions like, how do you be born again? And Jesus says, you believe in the king. Like, if you want to be born again into the kingdom, you have to have faith in the king. Right? That's where we get John 3 16 is from this conversation. God so loved the world that he sent the king to us. And whoever believes in the king receives life in the kingdom. Are, are you with me? And so, Faith's the only way into the kingdom. And then, and then Jesus has this talk with his disciples in John 15. And he says, hey, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. In fact, he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will and God will do it. Now he's talking about living in the king. He's talking about benefiting from the kingdom, right? How do I benefit from the kingdom? I abide. What's another word? I remain. How do I do that? Faith. So faith is my way in. Faith is my way to experience the kingdom. But then faith is my way to expand the kingdom. Hebrews 11, by faith. Have you ever read Hebrews 11? Like every, every verse is I'm a, by faith, by faith, by faith. Right? In fact, it, it starts out and it, it says, by faith Abraham obeyed. By faith Sarah received power to conceive. By faith Abel. By faith Enoch. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. 
by faith, Moses considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the riches of Egypt. By faith, the Red Sea parted. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And then it kind of gets to this Hebrews 11, 32, where it's trying to close down this chapter that's all about the building of a kingdom by faith. It says, and what more shall I say, the writer of Hebrews says. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through, or you could say by faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to fly. Here's what he's saying. By faith is how they expanded the kingdom. That's what God has asked us to do. That's why Jesus has come. He has connected us to the purpose of helping to establish his kingdom on the earth so that when he returns, he will find a people of faith in his kingdom. Are you with me? And so faith is the most valuable thing because without faith, I can't enter. Without faith, I can't access. And without faith, I can't expand the kingdom. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why uh, the writer of Hebrews says in, 11 chapter, in, in the 11th chapter, verse 6, if you backed up a little bit, he would say, without faith, it's, it's impossible to please God. Now, we tend to attach a performance mindset like, well, I got I to gotta have faith so God's happy with me. It's not exactly the, even the purpose of, of, that's not the context of that verse. What the word impossible means I'm powerless. So here's what he's saying. Without faith, I'm powerless to live a life that is pleasing to God. It's still not about God's judgment. It's more about God's calling. It's about purpose. In other words, I can't expand the kingdom without faith, right? And so what he's saying is in, in short, without faith, I'm powerless to live the life God called me to. Without faith, I, I'm powerless to do what God has purposed for me to do. And so faith truly is, to me, the most valuable thing that, that you can have. Um, that being said, we need to understand what gives faith its power. We need to understand where the battle really is because it, the truth of it is, and, and this is what you need to know, your faith is anchored to the goodness of God. Because really, that is what gives faith its power. Now, now I, I want to say this clearly. Like, it is anchored in God, but it's not just anchored in God. It's anchored in God's goodness. Faith anchored in the judgment of God does not give you a lot of power and a lot of strength. Faith anchored in the grace of God gives you a lot of confidence. Are you with me? Right? Faith anchored in God's going to get me because I messed up again does not give you confidence towards God. But faith anchored in the goodness of God gives you confidence. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because the writer of, of Hebrews in chapter 11, he says, if I come to God, I must believe what? I must believe that he is. Right? So there is faith anchored to him, but also must believe that he's a rewarder. Now there's faith anchored to God's goodness. Are, are you with me? Um, David said it this way in Psalm 27, 13. He says, I would have lost heart unless, in other words, I would, I would have been discouraged. I would have despaired unless I had believed. Believed what? That I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, that I'd see his goodness now. Are you with me? That I'd see his goodness now, right? 
And, and, and so here's, here's kind of one thing you can write down under this is despair arises when I'm uncertain of God's goodness. Right? Hope deferred makes the heart. Despair arises when I'm not certain of, of God's goodness. So, so, so there's the first thing. The second thing is I can only access by faith where I'm convinced that God is good. So think in terms of, of topography, like a map, uh, you know, if you would, or geography, and you kind of have these regions, all right? So here's peace, right? And, and here's prosperity, and, and here's um, clarity of mind, and, and, and here is health, right? I can, I can only explore. So this is all the kingdom of God, and in the kingdom, Jesus has paid for all these things. He's paid for peace, prosperity, health, right? Purpose, destiny, life, so, so Jesus paid. These are all in his kingdom. I can only explore where I'm confident that he is good because where I'm not confident that he's good, I'm not sure he's given me that region. So faith can only access where it is confident that God is good. Are you with me? And that's why for a lot of believers, we say things like, well, I know God can heal. I just don't know that God will heal me. Oh, what you just said, and I understand it. It's the battle that we all fight, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But what you said is I can't access that. I know that is there, but I can't access it. Why? I'm not convinced he's good. Are, are you with me? And so faith, faith can only... So, so a revelation of God's goodness is really what gives faith the power to exist in the kingdom, to pull from the kingdom, to access God's kingdom. Are, are you with me? So that's why faith is valuable because we're trying to live in a kingdom, right? And we're trying to expand a kingdom. And that's not possible if we're not convinced and certain of the goodness of God. Um, and so faith, faith has this incredible value. And a revelation of God's goodness has this incredible value. And so now what is the fight all about? I, you know what I would submit to you is that we are not actually fighting Satan at all. And, and do you know why I think it's not really valid to fight Satan? Because he's already defeated. Right? You know, after... <laughs> After you defeat an enemy, you don't need to fight with them anymore. The war's over. Right? And I think maybe we need to adjust our warfare to understand what we're really fighting. Because of the value of faith, it's not that we're fighting Satan. Actually, what we're fighting is our own doubt. Because if all of this comes by faith, all of this is neutralized by doubt. I don't need to fight Satan. He's defeated. You know what I'm trying to overcome? My own doubt. By the way, do you know what Satan's prime warfare is? Doubt. Do you know what the doubt is? That God's good. Adam and Eve in the garden, two very perfect people. And Satan says, is God really good? Because it seems to me like he's holding back. If God's really good, then, then why is he not letting you have this tree right here? And so Satan made them doubt. What did he make them doubt? God's goodness. Was Satan the enemy? No, no. Doubt was the enemy. 
Are you with me? And that's why Paul says, says it this way to Timothy. Hey, you need to fight the good fight of faith. Jude said it this way. You need to contend for faith. In fact, remember our context, Peter is writing to believers in Asia. It's kind of interesting because Peter understood what adversity looks like because Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, Satan is going to come and sift you as wheat, but I had prayed that your faith fail not. Now, if I'm Peter, I'd have wanted to sit down with Jesus and discuss how we aim prayers because it would have made sense to me if, if Jesus would have said, Satan's going to come, I would have said, well, pray he doesn't. Satan's going to sift you as wheat. Why does that have to happen, Jesus? Like you could pray and withstand the enemy and I wouldn't have to be sifted. Jesus didn't stop the sifting. He just prayed that when he was sifted, his faith wouldn't fail. Now the Bible says Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God making intercession for you. What do you think he's praying? He's probably not praying that you're not sifted. He's probably praying that no matter what you walk through, your faith won't fail because he knows how valuable faith is. So, so Peter starts there. Hey, your faith is valuable. Here's the second thing that, that he says is, hey, you know what? Your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested. In fact, he kind of gives this analogy kind of like gold is tested by fire. Your faith will be tested by trial. We don't. I don't think I hear a lot of messages about this and kind of in the Americanized gospel where we're trying to make the gospel as marketable as we can to carnal people. Did I say that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> it must be true then. And so we don't tell people, hey, sign up to follow Jesus so that he can test you. But, but the truth of it is, in fact, in fact, this is so misunderstood in church Here's what happens is you have someone who's following Jesus with all their heart, with all their strength. I mean, they're in love with Jesus. And then all of a sudden they encounter something difficult. And, and then all of a sudden the whispers start like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what kind of sin they got in their life, you know. Man, their life group leader serving on a dream team and he just got laid off. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Obviously there's a secret sin. Right? And, and we say things like that that are stupid, but we don't know any better because we thought all this time church was about religion when it's really about a kingdom. And, and in a religion, performance is all about provision. In a kingdom, provision is all about the grace of a king. Sometimes, sometimes I listen to the own message that I preach just so I can amen myself. Like when I said it to them, no one, amen, but that was good. So I'll go back and listen to it on Monday. But amen. Preach it, white boy. <laughs> but see, religion kind of has these rules of, and in religion, everybody that does the same thing gets the same result. But, but in a kingdom, it's not about formulas. It's about the grace of a king. And just because, you, just because your neighbor's like, hey, man, I started tithing last month, and this week somebody gave me a car. And you're like, I'm going to start tithing. And a week later, your washing machine broke, and you're like, 
Like, Jesus, where are you at, Jesus? Because in, in a kingdom, you don't always get the same thing from the same thing. Right? You need to unattach your performance from the gospel. And, and so when people start whispering, I've even had people say, well, you know, I, I can't expect a blessing because of the way I used to live. I made these mistakes, so I'm always going to have these struggles. And, and to them, this is normalized thinking. I'm like, oh, my God. They went to a church that was supposed to be about a kingdom, but we thought we were religion, so we taught them all about religion. And so the, now they're trapped in this legalistic mindset that's all about, because religion is all. Remember, remember Jesus one time encountered a man who was born blind, and the religious people, <clears throat> the religious people said, who sinned, Jesus, that, that he can't see? And Jesus kind of takes a step back and says, you are so dumb. I mean, it, he didn't actually say that, but I think he was thinking it. <laughs> Here's what he said. He said, he said, well, this man's blindness doesn't have to do with who sinned. That's not even what it's about. This man's blindness has to do with actually seeing more than what he's seeing. Here's what he meant by that. This isn't about sin. This is about seeing the glory of God. Um, time out. I'll come back to that. When I, um, when I started in the seventh grade, uh, we started and we had athletics instead of PE for the first time. We did football and all that kind of stuff. And, and very early on in athletics, we got to go to the weight room, right? And, and that was pretty exciting because like, well, we're men now. You know, we were only 13, but we're men. We got to go to the weight room. And it stinks in there. It's all musty. We have to be men. No woman would ever walk in this way. Anyways. And, and you know the first thing we did after they taught us safety and how everything worked? We did this thing called maxing out. Right? And maxing out is essentially you just keep adding weight until you can't do it anymore. And then you kind of know how strong you are based on how much you were able to lift. In, in other words, the coach knew that everybody in there had strength. But he didn't know how much strength they had or how much strength we had till we had to lift something. Like we could sit around and say, Coach, I'm feeling pretty strong. He said, I bet you are strong. And we could have gone home, but none of us would have known how strong we were. We wouldn't have actually been able to see our strength. See, strength couldn't be seen until it moved something. And when Jesus encounters the man born blind and the stupid religious people tie it to the performance of his parents... Jesus says, oh, you're missing something. See, I can tell you how, God good, how good God is, and that's a theory. But because this man's blind, you get to see how good God is. Because strength isn't seen. Glory isn't revealed till it changes something. Strength isn't seen till it lifts something. Now apply that to your faith. Because see, everybody in here has faith. But if you want to know how much faith you have, you'll have to walk through a trial. Because the measure of your faith is equivalent to the trial you can walk through and not lose it. Because see, faith isn't seen until it's tried. And that's what Peter is actually telling 
these believers in Asia Minor, he's like, hey, hey, your faith cannot be seen until it's tested. Like, I know you have faith, and you said you have faith, and I believed you, and you profess faith in Jesus. Here's what he's saying. But now you have a trial, so now you get to see your faith, and I get to see your faith, and God gets to see your faith. But nobody could see your faith until you had a trial. And Peter normalizes in a moment the idea that people who are called of God according to his purpose, who are on fire for God and passionate people who are life group leaders and people who are on the worship team and people who are on the dream team, right? What he says is, hey, probably just need to normalize the idea that if you're truly following God with all of your heart, you're going to run into a trial. My grandfather used to say it this way. You've either just come out of a trial, you're in a trial, or you're about to go in a trial. Those are your three options. It kind of normalizes the idea that, hey, hey, you, you, you know, because we kind of have that other thing like, no, no, it's supposed to all be, you know, unicorns and lollipops and sugar plum fairies if we, if we love Jesus. Everything's going to work together for good. It is, but think about the context of that scripture. Paul said, everything works together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's what he's saying. If you're called according to his purpose, it's going to go bad so he can work it for good. You don't have to work something for good that's already good. You have to work something for good that doesn't look like it's good. So Paul, in this great promise that we quote in church all the time, is actually indicating, hey, if you're really called and you're pursuing the purpose of God and you're passionately pursuing your relationship with Jesus, something's going to go bad. And then he's going to work it together for good. Are you, are you with me? In fact, James said it this way. He said, for you know that when your faith is tested. In other words, the idea that our faith is going to be tested is a very normal New Testament, new believer, new church concept. It's just not taught a lot in modern day church because it's hard to get people excited about the idea that, hey, you're following Jesus. Great. You're going to be tested. You're going to walk through a trial. Merry Christmas. Happy birthday. God bless you. But, but it's actually reality. Right? It's actually true. And James said it this way. He said, hey, you know what? Your faith's going to be tested. You know why it's going to be tested? So that your endurance, in other words, so it can be strengthened. You can't strengthen anything you don't test. Sometimes we look at people and say, man, how did they get such great faith? <laughs> they went through some crap, man. I don't know another way to say it. You know, They were tested. Right? I remember, I remember I used to admire, we'd have missionaries come. They'd say, we didn't have the money for the bills. We had no money for food. And God did this miracle and provided all this stuff. And I would sit there and think, man, I want to have faith like that, man. Faith! Mm. God said, okay. <laughs> and I can take you back to the beginning of this church where I had a meltdown because I couldn't buy my son's shoes. Because we'd gone through something hard. We'd lost everything. The church couldn't pay us. And my son grew out of his shoes. And for the first time in my life, I couldn't afford a pair of shoes for him. And I had a breakdown in academy. That's supposed to be a happy place. They have guns and golf stuff. They have everything I love in there. 
Someone said the other day, I walked in a, a, a Bass Pro Shop and it was like a, a theme park. I'm like, yes, that's why we go. Like you go and pay all this money to sing It's a Small World After All. We go to Cabela's and sing It's an Out World After All. It's an outdoor. <laughs> right? Like if I'm struggling depression, I just drive to Dallas to go in Cabela's. Anyways, the point is, I don't know what the point is, but it was good. <laughs> but the point is, you're, you're going to be you're going to be tested. And all of a sudden now, listen, in my story, like like so many times with this church, it is so easy to not stress. Like, I can't even tell you. I just I wish I could tell you, but I can't because we don't have time. But I, but I have the story of not being able to pay bills and pay a house payment and God doing all these miraculous things. And so now, even in the church, like I remember all these people were talking about how by faith they built these great churches. I'm like, God, and I can tell you in this church, every time we run into something, I, I don't sweat anymore. I'm like, well, day, God, the day you don't want it here, it'll stop. You know, we're looking at building a new building and it's a lot of money. It's a big thing. And, and, and we're going to launch out on, if you weren't here for the birthday, we're going to launch out and an initiative in January. And it's very possible that if we do our part and God moves for our 10th birthday, we'll celebrate it in our new facility. And that's amazing. And even still, like I'm just sitting there like, I'm just not really worried about it. It'll be or it won't. You know, God will do it. Yes, I pray. Yes, I do my part. But at the end, I've kind of learned like the biggest thing you can do as a believer is learn what's on God's side and what's on your side. You do what your side, don't worry about his side. You understand what I'm saying? But, but here's the thing. What I'm saying is my, ta- my faith has been trial tested, right? I know that I don't have to have a paycheck for God to provide for me. I, it, it's, been, it's been, you know, we, I want great faith. Well, how do you get it? It's got to be tested. That's what James says. Um, everyone who's ever done anything for God was tested. In fact, Psalm 105, let me show you this real quick. Psalm 105 Verse 19, it says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. You see that? Who tested him? God. God tested him. Why? Because God wanted to use him. Some of you have prayed one of the most dangerous prayers, and I know it because I had prayed it. Starting at the age of 17, really, I started praying, God, I want you to use me. God, I want you to use me. And this is what God said. I only use who I test. I cannot use you till I, t- I, I cannot use you until I prove you. And here's who gave Joseph the dream. God, God gave him a dream and then tested him because of it. Poor Joe. And then you have Abraham. Remember Abraham, Abraham fought some, he endured some pretty interesting tests. In fact, you can go through his life. You can go through the life of Joseph, life of Abraham. You can identify all these tests. But the first thing that Abraham, um, the first test that he had to deal with was the time test. Because isn't it true, isn't it true, if you get a word from God on this weekend today, like someone pulls you aside, man, I just felt like promotion's coming and God's going to increase you, right? And you're like, oh, I got this word on Sunday, and by Monday evening, if Ed McMahon is not resurrected from the grave and brought you a check, you're wondering, God, what happened? You gave me a word yesterday. God gave Abraham a word, and then 25 years later, it's called the time test. The Bible says that, that these three are kind of remaining and that there's always going to be seed time and harvest. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but here's how it feels to me. There's seed, then there's 
time and then harvest. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how it feels. That's how it was for Abraham, right? And then even Abraham, right in the midst of this process, he has Isaac, but Isaac wasn't the promise. A nation was the promise. So he still has Isaac, but he doesn't have the promise yet. So it's still in process. And then God says, I want you to take Isaac and kill him. And now we have the obedience test. Can you do what doesn't make sense on the way to what God wants to give you? Right? But the Bible says it very clearly that, that, that Abraham taking Isaac onto that mountain to sacrifice him was, was God testing his faith. It was the obedience test. Some of the, sometimes the greatest test that we'll ever take is just obedience. Can I tell you one of the greatest tests um, that I have to take in my life a lot is doing nothing. And I don't mean in being lazy or just turn. I'm just saying that sometimes like Abraham, when we're in the time test or the, and, and it's like, well, God promised we want to help God out. Right? Like in, in my mind, we should have built the building five years ago. Right? So the greatest test I've been taking is saying, okay, God said not yet. Okay, God said not. Okay, it's not time. Okay, God, I'm not doing this thing. This thing that I want to do because you talked to me about it, I'm not going to do it because you said it's not, it's not time. So I'm see how good I'm being by doing nothing. <laughs> right? Sometimes it takes faith to do nothing at all. Anyways, here's the last thing. So, so faith is valuable and your faith has to be tested. And here's why. Because your faith needs to be trusted. Your faith must be trusted. That's what Peter actually says. He says, watch this. He says, it's been tested. And now having, having, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. This is first Peter one, eight. It says, though now you do not see him yet. You believe there's that faith you haven't seen, but you believe. And he says, you rejoice with inexpressible uh, joy. Watch this receiving the end of your faith. Here's what he's saying. You have to test your faith to trust your faith, to get you where God wanted you to be. Like faith is what gets you there, but you have to trust your faith. More than that, God wants to give you something. He wants to do something in you. He wants to do something through you. And God will not use anyone he hasn't proven. And so God had to test you. So, so here's the thing. This is what God does. God throws this promise out there. Like when it comes to our church, I have this promise, Right? And all of a sudden we have a Sunday and the attendance goes down and the enemy comes with the doubt, right? And he says, hey, look, everybody's leaving. I'm like, where are they going? I was even nice that weekend. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I didn't even say the mean things, right? And, but what I always back to is, okay, well, if God said it, we're just going to walk it out. If God said it, we're going we're gonna, to see the kingdom of God is like a, a, a man throwing out seed and God gives us these promises called seed, right? And here's what we do. The first time, you know, like it hadn't sprouted up the way we thought, we dig it up and think, well, that wasn't God. No, if God gave you a seed, you just keep watering that seed. Like, oh, I don't see anything. You know, when you first plant a seed, you don't see anything. You just water it. And then you don't see anything. You just water it some more. And you don't see it. You don't dig it up three days after you plant it because you don't see anything. You just keep watering it, Right? Sometimes with God, God's given us the promise and he's saying, here's what I'm going to do with your life. Here's what I've called you to. Here's the purpose. Here's the destiny. And the first time we don't see something right, we just think, well, that wasn't God. We dig up the seed, right? 
Man, that's good. Are you with me? I'm saying no. Yeah. Anyway. And so the point is that, that it has to be, it has to be proven because God's never, I mean, go through the Bible, go through the Bible. God's never used anyone that he didn't prove first, that he didn't test. Um, in fact, Luke chapter four, are you guys familiar with Jesus? He's a pretty big deal in the Bible. In Luke chapter four, verse one, kind of has this interesting phrase. Jesus has, he's not preached a sermon. He's not done a miracle. This is, this is really before his ministry begins. It's the time he's 30 years old. It's about time for his ministry to begin. And it says, and Jesus, now what's that say? Full of the Holy spirit. You see that full of the Holy spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Now, who led him into the wilderness? Right? God. Now, what happens when he gets into the wilderness? Well, if you want to go read, he's actually tempted by Satan for 40 days. Right? Is he tempted by Satan? Who arranged the meeting? Is he tempted by Satan? Who arranged the meeting? Why? To test him. Isn't that interesting? See, God can't tempt us. He won't. James says, makes it very clear. God will not tempt us. He will test us. Sometimes the way he tests us is providing us a meeting with the tempter. <laughs> now, why? Well, let's skip down to... Um, Verse 14, same chapter. So God, who arranged the meeting? Did Satan tempt him for 40 days? Why did Satan tempt him? Because God won't use anyone he didn't test first, including Jesus. Hang on. If God needed to test Jesus. Verse 14, after 40 days of being tempted, which was being tested, and Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Yeah. God has an anointing and a purpose and a calling. God has a plan. God wants to give you more. He wants to take you from being full of the Spirit to, to operating in the power, the explosive nature, right? One is about presence. One is about power. God was present. See, we think, well, if I'm being led into the wilderness, God must not have been present. No, it makes it very clear. He was full of the Spirit. God's presence had filled. He was full of God. And then led by God into a wilderness for 40 days to be tempted of Satan so he could be tested by God so he could emerge from the wilderness in a new level of anointing and power. It's the explosive nature of God. And then he starts his ministry. 
I preached a sermon one time called There's a Wilderness in Your Way. And you need to understand that between the calling of God and the explosive power of God, there's usually a wilderness where God arranges a meeting, some time with you to wrestle with the tempter because God's trying to test you so that God can prove you. He only tests you when he thinks you can pass and he wants you to pass so he can put on you the anointing and the purpose and the calling and the blessing and the provision that God has for your life. My God. God, that's good preaching. <laughs> There's a wilderness in your way. Here, let me just say this. Do you know why? Do you know why that? Um, and you can stand up. That way you know I'm done. But do you know why? <laughs> I learned that trick from my dad. You can stand up, but I'm going to keep preaching. Do you know why? Um, do you know why? I love the context of this in 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter is writing to the believers who are being tested and they're enduring trials. Because as I said, Peter had the context of someone who was tested. Are you with me? Because Jesus actually says, Peter, I'm so glad that you're one of my disciples. There's a test coming. And Satan is going to sift you as wheat. And he said, but, but I'm going to pray that your faith fail not, right? And we say it's all about faith. But Jesus didn't stop there. See, I stopped there a minute ago, but Jesus didn't stop there. He said, and when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. It's the first prophecy of Peter's apostolic ministry. See, Peter thought he was a fisherman who was following Jesus. He even thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on earth and he's going to hang out with him. Peter had no idea that God was going to take a fisherman and turn him into one of the greatest apostles we'll ever read about. He didn't understand his calling. He didn't understand his purpose. And here's what Jesus said, Peter, you're doing great. You're following me. I'm so glad you've given up everything. You've given up your fishing business. Your life has been changed. You've left your family and you're following me. Peter, that's awesome. There's going to be a test. And here's why there's going to be a test. And I'm not going to stop the sifting in your life. I'm not going to stop the sifting in your life because it's valuable just like gold being purged by fire. It is valuable. And here's why I'm not going to stop the sifting. Because you're going to be one of the greatest apostles. And you're going to proclaim my gospel to the Jews. See, that's your brethren. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So when he's saying, strengthen your brethren, what he's actually saying is, this is the first revelation of the apostolic ministry that I'm going to place on you. But that anointing's not going to come until you walk through the sifting, until you come back to me. And here's what I'm telling you. God has this amazing plan, this amazing purpose for your life. And God has called all of you to be world changers. Even if you don't believe it, just listen to me. It's okay. I probably have more faith in you than you do, and that's okay. Maybe you just haven't seen it yet. But I only ask God for people who want to change the world to come to this church. I'm okay if it's four or 4,000. Doesn't matter. Only want people who want to change the world. I don't have time to play religious stupidity. So if you're here, God thinks you can change the world. Merry Christmas. And so here's what I'm saying is God's got a calling. He's got provision. He's got everything lined up for you. His promise is true. And here's what I'm saying. If you're in a trial... Don't lose heart because that's valuable. 
Your trial is not proof that God has left you. It is the evidence that God is proving you. And God only proves those he intends to promote. That's a good word. That's a good word. Why don't you bow your heads and I'll pray for you. God, I'm so grateful for your presence that is in this place.